pray. <clears throat> Almighty God, you, what other God is there besides you? You have said, I am God, there is no other. And we marvel at who you are, all of your perfections. You are the I am that I am, self-explanatory, accountable to no one but yourself. And so we, you have given us the scriptures to reveal what you want us to know about you and how we are to live among one another. Open the scriptures for us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Anoint us with that spirit that you've given all of us who believe in Jesus and teach us now in Jesus' name, amen. We are at that point in the life of Jesus where he has had been at the Last Supper and <clears throat> Judas, the devil, has filled Judas's heart, the scripture says, to betray the Messiah. And we're going to see all these terrible events, but predestined events. So we're going to look at John 18, verses 28 to 40 this afternoon, but I want to open with Acts 2. And if, in Acts 2, this great relationship of divine sovereignty and human accountability, Peter and his great sermon on the day of Pentecost, verse 22 of Acts 2, he says, Men of Israel, listen to, to these words, Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Now bring that up only to stress the fact that Jesus' whole purpose of coming into this world was to die for sinners, us. It was the plan, it is predetermined. God predetermined to use evil actions of men. And I'm gonna bring out today just how evil these men were in condemning Jesus to death so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. God will have his way. Jesus says, remember after he was betrayed and Judas is sent out, <clears throat> Jesus makes the point and Luke brings it out. He says he would be betrayed by a friend. So when Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, that exact amount was prophesied in Micah, 30 pieces, not 40, 30 pieces. He would be betrayed by a friend. Judas was sent, viewed as a, as a friend. Walked with him for three years. Was sent out with the other apostles for three years. All to fulfill prophecy. And so we, we see Jesus going out. This mob is sent, a mob is sent to arrest this man as if, he, as if he's this great threat. They came out with swords drawn, part of a cohort. We don't know how many, 600 if they were to send all of them. But even if it was 200, that was enough. 
and officials to arrest this one man. And then we see that here a mock trial takes place. And we're going to, I'm going to call it a mock trial because talking about miscarriage of justice, if there was ever a miscarriage of justice, it was in the trial of Jesus. And the Sanhedrin, we are clear from John so far, the Sanhedrin was always plotting to find a way to arrest Jesus, to somehow kill him. And the scripture says he would escape from their midst Why? Because the Bible says it was not his hour. It was only going to happen at God's pre-appointed time. But they wanted him. They had already made the arrangements with Judas during the early part of the Passover week. And Judas says, I know, I'll take you to him because I know we we have gone to, for the master to teach us, we've gone to pray, the Garden of Gethsemane. Scripture makes that very clear that Judas knew the place. Jesus is arrested, and then this mock trial takes place. I addressed that last week, as you recall. If you're going to condemn someone to death, according to the Mosaic law, what do you got to have? Well, according to Deuteronomy 19, you got to have the testimony of two or more witnesses, and it has to be a confirming testimony And what's interesting in what the Mosaic Law says is that in this testimony, if if I'm going to be a witness, I better have I better be telling the truth. Because the scripture says the judges in that day will determine if I'm a false witness. And if it proves that I'm a false witness, guess what happens? I receive the penalty for if that person is convicted, whatever that is, you know, the world doesn't understand what's called the lex talionis. The lex talionis is eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for foot, uh, hand for hand, foot for foot, life for life. Well, that's about revenge. No, it's never about revenge. It means the penalty must be commensurate with the nature of the crime. So if you have a capital murder trial, which is what this is, because they accused Jesus of blasphemy. Blasphemy in the Old Testament under the God's law was punishable by death. But if they're going to convict Jesus of blasphemy, they're going to have to prove it. So they're going, they, they were seeking to bring in witnesses. It's interesting, Matthew says they were having a difficult time to get some false witnesses. But they got two. They finally got to them. All it takes is two. And here was their false testimony. They said, oh, we heard him say, destroy this temple and he will raise it up in three days. And they go, see, he's against the temple of God. Well, what what does the scripture say? What did Jesus mean? Well, John 2 says Jesus was referring to his body. You destroy this temple, meaning my body, I will raise this up. Well, they had perverted it in such a way so that it made Jesus sound like he was against the the Mosaic law. So this trial continues. And of course, we know Caiaphas was trying his best to get Moses 
We know the Sanhedrin for some time was plotting to kill Jesus. Find a way. They got him before them. They got their false witnesses. But then Caiaphas says, why don't you just tell us, just tell us straight up. Puts him under oath. And remember, uh, according to the other gospel writers, Jesus is remaining silent. He's not talking. But when Caiaphas says, I, I tell you, I jeer you by, the, by God, are you the Christ? He put him under an oath. He put him under a biblical oath to which Jesus then responds, well, you have said correctly. But then Jesus says something that's really profound. He says, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power coming on the clouds. What that meant was, you're going to see me come in judgment, and he will come in judgment in 70 AD, a generation later. He will come, and he will deal with this Sanhedrin and apostate Judaism. Now remember, what does the Mosaic law require? If, if If I'm a false witness, or if I pervert justice, and if it's a murder trial, then I deserve to die. So when they brought those false witnesses, they accused him of blasphemy. He says, when Jesus says, yes, I am the Christ, and Caiaphas says, he tore his robes. Do we have any other reason? He just said it. And they said, kill him. Kill him. He's just committed blasphemy. Well, did he commit blasphemy? Well, if he was an ordinary man, he would have. Is Jesus an ordinary man? No, Jesus kept saying, he says, I've taught you in the temple who I am. I've told you I'm from the Father. And if you don't believe my words, believe my works. My works testify that I am who I am. I am the Messiah. No, I'm not guilty of blasphemy. So your your trial was a perversion of justice and you're going to kill me. But guess what? I will come in 70 AD and exercise justice on apostate Israel. And that's what he did. Nonetheless, we see that <clears throat> this, this Sanhedrin, they're, they're so corrupt and they have plotted to kill Jesus for some time. And it really, I, w- I want us to go back to John 11, just to, to show you the magnitude of the darkness of the heart of the Sanhedrin. Turn, turn to John 11. Now Jesus has just did his most miraculous miracle in raising Lazarus from the dead to been dead four days. That had its impact on all those Jews that come up to comfort Mary and Martha. When they saw this, they were astounded. And as a result, take a look at John 11 and uh, verse 45. Many, therefore, the Jews who had come to Mary and beheld what he had done believed in him. And that's what Jesus wanted. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. Therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council. 
the Sanhedrin, and were saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. Let's just stop right there. They did not deny this was a miraculous sign. Now, that, that's pretty condemning right there. They had to admit it. This was miraculous. Verse 48, if we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him and the Romans will come, take away both our place and our nation. But a certain one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year said to him, you know nothing at all, nor do you take an account It is expedient for you that one man should die for the people and the whole nation should not perish. If there was ever the pragmatist, Caiaphas was the pragmatist. He says, oh yeah, he's doing these signs. (laughs) So what? He's a troublemaker. And what was the Sanhedrin always concerned about? And I'm gonna mention this later. Pilate recognizes it, envy. They were jealous of Jesus. Back in John, early part of John, in what Jesus was doing, the Sanhedrin was saying, look, the whole world is going after him. And if we don't stop him, everybody's gonna believe in this Jesus and we cannot have that. It was jealousy, it was was envy, and they would pervert justice to achieve their purpose. And Caiaphas says, well, it's better for one man to die than the whole nation for the Romans to come in. Well, guess what? The Romans are going to come anyway, aren't they? They're going to come in 70 AD, and they will wipe out Jerusalem and level every stone. So it didn't achieve its purpose in the end anyway. But that shows you just how dark these men are. Now, look at John um, 18, look, look at verse 28. I wanted to show you the hypocrisy of this, this body of religious leaders. They led Jesus therefore from Caiaphas, from Caiaphas into the praetorium. The praetorium was the, the mansion, the governor's living quarters is what that is. And it was early, and they themselves did not enter the praetorium in order that they might not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. Oh, (laughs) we're not going to defile ourselves by being in the presence of this pagan Roman. This is Passover. And this is Holy Week. And we're not going to defile ourselves Oh, we're, we're going to kill an innocent man and we're going to get false witnesses and we'll do everything we can. And what was this crime? Oh, he healed people on the Sabbath. Oh, this is a terrible guy. Oh, but we're not going to defile ourselves ceremonially. You see, this is, it goes to show us several ways. <clears throat> Men... There's always the tendency to make myself religious before God by some action that I do, some ceremony that I might perform. And, and of course, Romanism is probably the most classic example of that. By doing all these ceremonial things, I'm going to be right with God. 
Well, I can be morally corrupt, but that's all right as long as I do not touch this Gentile because they weren't to defile themselves. That's the, that's the level of the hypocrisy that the Sanhedrin had got themselves into. And to show you again how just hard-hearted these men are, turn over again to Matthew 23. Matthew 23 Now, this is the group of people that have condemned Jesus. This is the group of people that are not going to defile themselves in the presence of a Gentile, Pontius Pilate. This is what Jesus thought of that group. Look at Matthew 23, starting at verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law. Justice! and mercy, and faithfulness, but these things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain at a gnat, swallow a camel, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you, for you clean the, the outside of the club, or you won't touch a pagan Roman, okay, But inside, you're full of robbery and self-indulgence, you blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup, and the dish in the outside of it may become clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you're like whitewashed tombs. On the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and uncleanliness. And then he goes on to say how... Jesus says, you are just, verse 34, therefore behold, I'm sending you prophets and wise men and scribes and some of them will kill you and crucify you. Some of them will scourge you in the synagogue and persecute you. In other words, Jesus says, you're just like your fathers who murdered the prophets and you're getting ready to murder the prophet, the Messiah, is what you're getting ready to do. And you can pretend to be religious and you can say, I'm not going to defile myself by being in that Roman uh, praetorium. But you are wicked men and whatever comes to you will be just condemnation upon you. So in, turn back to John 18. So Pilate goes out. Can you imagine Pilate's attitude towards them? A bunch of snobs, these Jewish snobs. Because <laughs> he's going to say, what, what, am I Jew? But he'll, he'll go out, he'll cater to them. What's the charge? What, what's the charge you're bringing against them? Well, what did they say? Look what they said. They answered and said, verse 30, he's an evildoer. We, if he was not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him over to you. Oh, he's an evildoer. Well, just how evil was Jesus? Well, let's see. He fed 5,000 people, five loaves and two, two fish. Uh, he heals a, a blind man. He heals a lame man. Uh, oh, oh, but he did do it on the Sabbath. 
How dare you heal somebody on the Sabbath? You lawbreaker, Jesus. Oh, he's an evil man because he, he dared show mercy on the Sabbath. As if he can't show mercy on the Sabbath. Oh, this is an evil man. That's why we've delivered him up to you. All of these things Jesus did, they said evil. You remember when we went through John 11 with Lazarus? Why would you want to kill Lazarus? What did he do to you? You know, the text says they wanted to kill Lazarus because he had the audacity of being raised from the dead by Jesus. They'll take it out on him. They called him an evildoer. Well, here was Pilate's attitude towards him, verse 31. Look, if you think he's evil, you go judge him yourself. According to your law, verse 31. But the Jews said, we're not permitted to put anyone to death. Now, here was the deal. Judea was under Roman control. And the Romans would let them do certain things according to their law. And they could, the Jews could decree someone to die, but they didn't have the power to execute them. That's why they brought Jesus to Pilate. We, We have condemned him to death according to our law. But we can't kill him, but you can. And that's why we've brought him. And so what the sand, <clears throat> what we see here, what's interesting to show you that the, uh, the predestination, the fulfillment of prophecy, look at verse 32. Well, if you back up 31, when the Jew says, we are not permitted to put anyone to death that the word of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Well, what, what kind of prophecy is Jesus talking about? Jesus wanted to die a certain way. Now, here's the thing. The law of Moses, when someone was, was condemned to death by violating God's law, the mode of execution was twofold. Either they stoned you to death or they strangled you. But Jesus wasn't going to have any part of it. Neither was God. No. It says Jesus intended to die at the hand of the Romans. The Romans didn't strangle. The Romans didn't stone you to death, but the Romans did put you up on a cross and crucify you. And that's exactly how Jesus wanted to be. And he he would do everything he can to be executed that way. Now, to prove that further in Scripture, turn over to Matthew 20. Turn over to Matthew 20. And look at verses 17 through 20.
Okay, we... <clears throat> Matthew 20, 17. And Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem. He took the 12 disciples aside by themselves. And on the way, he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him, and on the third day will be raised up. We're going to go to Jerusalem, and I've got to be delivered to the Romans so that they will kill me the way the Romans kill people. Now, to further show the majesty of God's sovereignty in all of this, in bringing about this, this prophecy, let's take a look at two passages. First, the Old Testament. Turn to Deuteronomy 21. And look at verse 23. Deuteronomy 21, 23. And if a man has committed a sin worthy of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his corpse shall not hang all night on the tree, but you shall surely bury him on the same day, for he who is hanged is accursed of God, so that you do not defile your land with the Lord your God gives you as inheritance. So to die on a tree and left there, you were viewed as being accursed by God. All right, turn over to Galatians chapter 3. Look at verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Well, the Messiah must pay the ransom price. The Messiah must die a death of crucifixion. The Messiah must be cursed by being left on that tree so that our sins might be atoned for. So Jesus wanted to be, to be put to death this way because what did he say in John 3, verses 14 and 15? He says that the Son of Man is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. Lifted up meaning lifted up by, on a cross. And John 12, 32 says the same thing. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. So, now back to John 8, 18. Realizing the Jews have declared him worthy of death, Pilate 
inquires further something of Jesus. He says, Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Now, why would he ask Jesus that question? Now, this is helpful. To understand the whole picture, you've got to look at Luke and Matthew and John to get a fuller picture. Why would Pilate ask him, are you the king of the Jews? Well, for one thing, now, he's brought before him with these charges. Well, Pilate will determine, okay, if this man's before me, is he a political threat to us, Romans, or not? So are you a king? Jesus said, you, you've said it. Now, it's, it, Luke brings something out that John does not mention, but we've got to take a look at what John, uh, Luke says. Turn over to Luke 23, because it fills in a gap right there on John. Luke 23. Look at verses 1 through 5. Now, this is Luke's account of Jesus being before Pilate. Then the whole body of them arose and brought him before Pilate and began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ a king, Stop right there. What were they trying to do? <laughs> Pit Jesus against Rome so that Rome would see Jesus as a threat. That's what they were doing. That precipitates Pilate saying, are you the king of the Jews? In other words, are you out here telling people not to pay taxes to Rome? Is that what you do? If you're a king, are you an insurrectionist like the zealots that we've had to deal with? Are you one of those? So are you, are you this kind of king? And Jesus says, it is as you say. Well, let's take this. These people were saying, in a way to get Pilate to condemn Jesus. Oh, he's teaching him not to uh, give you taxes. Well, what did Jesus teach? When someone came to him, recorded in Matthew um, 22, for example, are, you to, are we to pay Roman tribute? Bring me a coin, Jesus says. What, what's the picture you see on here? Caesar. Then pay Caesar. What is Caesar's? And pay God what is God's. He didn't, he wasn't teaching not to pay taxes. Oh, and here's, here's one of the best of the miracles of Jesus. Turn over to Matthew 17. Remember, they're accusing him of rebelling against Rome, not paying taxes. Matthew 17. Look at verses 24 through 27. And when they had come to Capernaum, those who had collected the two drachma tax came to Peter. 
and said, does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll tax from the sons or from strangers? And upon him saying this from strangers, Jesus said to him, consequently, the sons are exempt. But, Lest we give them offense, go to the sea, throw out in a hook, and take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you, you will find a stator. Take that and give it to them for you from me. <laughs> you think about that miracle. Oh, did he forbid paying the tax? No, I'll tell you what. Just throw your line out. The first fish you catch, open it up, and guess what you're going to find? The coin to pay the tax. Then pay it. He'll do a miracle in such a way. Oh, he's, he's not a political threat in that sense to Rome. He was not an insurrectionist. Now, in this regard... <clears throat> Take a look, turn back to John 18. Now you see, John fills in more that Luke and Matthew never do mention. That's why it's helpful to get all three together. But in verse 34, when Pilate says, are you king of the Jews? Jesus answered, are you saying on your own initiative or did others tell you that? That's me. And Pilate said, well, I'm not a Jew. Am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you up to me. What, what have you done? Well, Jesus is about to tell them what kind of uh, kingdom he's a king of. Look what he says. Verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered up to that to the Jews, but as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Now, one thing we need to recognize here, Jesus is making it very clear he's not an insurrectionist. He's not teaching not to pay taxes to Rome. He's not doing anything to directly antagonize the Romans by something that the Romans would see as a political threat. I'm teaching the kingdom of God. And then Jesus will say, for example, in Luke 17, verses 20 and 21, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is within you. That's where the kingdom of God, my kingdom is not of this world. And he makes it very clear it's not political in that sense because he says, if it were my disciples would be taking up arms right now to defend me, but they're not. Because the origin of my kingdom is not of this earth. The origin of my kingdom is from the Father. And the kingdom of God that I'm, I'm about to do is to do something amazing within you. And so we see <clears throat> that is why, notice what Pilate said, well, first of all, Pilate asked him about uh, truth. Jesus says, 
I am a king, for to this I was born, verse 37, and for this I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And so what we see here, Jesus says, I teach, I teach by words and I teach by actions. And my words are words of peace and <clears throat> my actions are that of feeding people, their need, raising people from the dead, doing works of mercy. That's what my works, and they demonstrate, by the way, that I am the Messiah. You know, when John the Baptist sent his disciples to Jesus when John was arrested, are you the Christ or are we expect another? John already knew that because he heard God from heaven say, this is my beloved son. He did it for the sake of his disciples. And Jesus says, well, send back to John. Do the blind see? Do the lame walk? Do the deaf hear? Are the, ra- are the dead raised? And is the gospel preached to the poor? In other words, that's all you need to know, John. You know that I'm the Messiah. So everything he's did. And so what's what's interesting here is Pilate says in John 18, 38, when he had said this, he went out to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. In other words, this is not an insurrectionist. This is not a man telling us not to pay taxes. No, he's not guilty. Well, it's interesting because Luke's version or uh, Luke's version has the fact they became fierce when Pilate said that, and they they they, they saw it slipping through their fingers that. Pilate would condemn them. They did all the more. Well, 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 he's a Galilean. He's a Galilean. Well, oh, he's a Galilean. Oh, send him to Herod. He's, that's his jurisdiction. Oh, Pilate is doing all he can not to be involved with this man. In fact, we're told elsewhere that the wife of Pontius Pilate had a dream do not mess with this man. Do not mess with this man. <clears throat> so it's interesting. He was doing all that he can. We're going to lead up to him. He's going to offer them Barabbas, you know, the robber, but they're not going to take Barabbas. Well, let me, let me end this one thing on. So I hope you've seen just how corrupt this Sanhedrin was, how they perverted the Mosaic law to condemn Jesus, doing everything they can to make him out to be a threat to Rome, which he wasn't in that sense. But I will say this, oh, he is a threat to Rome in in, in another sense. His kingdom origin may not be of this world, but where is Jesus right now? the right hand of God the Father, right? King of kings, Lord of lords. Psalm 2 says, God says, I have set up my anointed king on Mount Zion and I have given all the nations to him as his inheritance. 
And it says in Psalm 2, kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. So all these political rulers, if you don't bow your knee to King Jesus and accept the law of King Jesus, which is the law of God, you will perish in the end. But, you know, turn over to Daniel 2. Take a look at verses 44 and 45. You know, Daniel had a vision of these great kingdoms of antiquity, starting <clears throat> the Babylonians and the Medes and the Persians and the Greeks. That was the back stat- that statue that he had a dream, that Nebuchadnezzar had that dream of, that he wanted Daniel, someone to interpret that dream for him, and Daniel will do it. Look at Daniel 2, verses 44 and 45. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will, ne- will, which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all those kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true. Its interpretation is trustworthy. What was those kings in which will be set up? What was that iron kingdom? That was Rome is what that was. And when was Jesus born? In the reign of Augustus Caesar, Rome. And this, this kingdom of what Jesus says, my kingdom's not this world, but if you, if you think that my kingdom is not going to impact you, you're greatly mistaken. Because either you bow to me or you will be crushed in the end. But you see, how does Jesus extend his kingdom Let's just end with that great prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, the nature of this Jesus, this Messiah who would be born by a virgin. Turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Verses 6 and 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. You know, Psalm 110, 1 through 3 says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your foot. 
Stretch forth your scepter. Thy people will volunteer freely in the day of thy power. What happened? You know, that is the verse that Peter quoted in his sermon on the day of Pentecost. He quotes Psalm 110 to explain what had happened. And, and what, did, what did this king of peace do at Pentecost? When Peter finished, 3,000 people says their hearts were stricken because he said, you, you are the ones who crucified him. Well, what shall we do? Believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved, you and your children. 3,000 people were converted. The, the extent of your kingdom of peace. You see, thy people, the elect, all those were elect, by the way, and they believed. So Jesus says, my kingdom may not be of this world, may not be like yours, Pilate, but it is a kingdom, and it is a kingdom that will win out in the end, but it's a kingdom that changes people from within, not by the sword. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for what Jesus has done for us. We thank you he did not shy away from the cross. We thank you that he was a curse on that cross for us, that we might live forever. Hallelujah. Amen.